Welcome to Reengage, where a bunch of people that are really smart return to a show about things that go. Star Trek, the next generation. We talk about the show where things go for a really long time and talk about if it's still good and stuff. <laughs> Welcome for reals <laughs> to Reengage. This week we're talking about vertical eyebrows and pouty lips. Yes, it's Samaritan Snare. The pack lids. Let's talk to our cultural bridge officers. Kate, how you do? I do good, Jimmy. Uh, that was a fantastic opening. Ooh, thank you, thank you. Eric, how you do? Jimmy, I didn't even get what you were doing till the end and then my mind wasn't alone. <laughs> Greg, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, very excited to uh, be trapped in a shuttlecraft with the three of you. Nice. Well done. That sounds awesome. All right. So uh, this episode is start date 42779.1, which was the week of May 15th, 1989 in our time. Greg, what was happening that week? Well, uh, this, a lot of ongoing things occurring still. The Tiananmen Square protests are continuing. That uh, is about to escalate a bunch uh, on May 20th when martial law is declared. But at this moment on May 15th, it's just a bunch of students, and they start protesting, and not just in Beijing, but in cities all over China, and the government does not know yet what to do. Uh, at the same time, Mikhail Gorbachev, Soviet president, is visiting the Chinese premier uh, and meeting for the first time in 30 years while everyone is protesting outside. So that is perfect timing. Uh, there should be a screenplay about this meeting right now in, in the works. <laughs> I'm calling that out for all of you. Uh, but on May 14th, the day before this episode aired, it was the first time since 1948 that a baseball player by the name of Kirby Puckett hit six consecutive doubles and six consecutive at-bats. One of those weird baseball stats oh, that I just love to Kirby hear about. Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett. What a great he hitter. Was so cool. I loved him. When I was yeah. a kid and I went to Fenway Park and there was a Twins game, we made up different nicknames for all of the players. And it, it, that gentleman's name was Kirby O. Just Puckett. <laughs> Love it. Love everything about it. All right, Kate. Sing us a song. Well, uh, on May 15th, 1989, a young Kate turned 13 years <sighs> old. So this is a very exciting day. Uh, number one on the charts was John Bon Jovi, actually just Bon Jovi, with I'll Be There For You. And I know you like me to sing, but Holy this shit. deserves a, a really dramatic reading of these lyrics. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'll be there for you. These five words I swear to you. When you breathe, I want to breathe the air for you. I'll be there for you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I want to be the air for you. Come on. So good. So So good. good. And not at all does that mean that I forgot to look up how the song actually goes. And it's not one of those (laughs) songs. Don't pull the curtain back, Kate. (laughs) Don't pull it back. When I breathe, I want to be the air for you. I'll be there, there for you. you. I'm living, I'm I die for you. Yeah. Steal the stars from the sky for you. I am All in right. New Jersey right now. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Good shit, everybody. You, my husband had the same reaction as you did, Eric, and sang the entire song uh, <laughs> and didn't know he knew that much of the song to begin with. So, well played. Good. Damn. Uh, at the movies, we had a new number one, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Richard mm. Pryor and Gene Wilder. Yep. Wow. Uh, a Bad? movie that does not hold up today. That is for darn sure. It is awful. No, but both of those men are, are good enough that you can watch it out of respect. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Good, you can watch the Absolutely. other ones, the earlier ones, and think of this. There you go. Um, but even worse is Kevin Spacey in it. It's the worst performance I've ever seen. He is oh, wow. so terrible in that movie. Uh, in TV land, the TV movie of the week uh, was the number one rated show that week. And it was Everybody's Baby, Rescue the- of Jessica McClure. <gasps> I feel like that's a callback to one of our earlier episodes. And I that had occurred, so. right? I think in the, so. I think in first so. season. Definitely, we spoke of baby Jessica. Baby Jessica. And then in deaths, unfortunately, we lost the amazing Gilda Radner that week oh, in 1989. Wow. I remember yeah. that hurting. Gene Wilder's wife. Correct. So, no small connection. Do you think the movie had anything to do with that? She How saw it and she died? Is that yeah. what you're saying? How dare you? It's too soon. I don't like the way soon. this is going. We're too fighting. Soon. <laughs> We're fighting. Yes. I'm Team Kate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that it, Miss Kate? That's it. Can we wrap it up? All right. Really quickly, we have director Les Landau and writer uh, Robert L. McCullough. Uh, these are no strangers. These gentlemen are no strangers to TNG. We've touched upon them many times. No need to revisit them. So let's go right into our guest stars. Eric, who do we have? Oh, hell yeah. We start out with Christopher Collins, who plays the captain of these idiots. Uh, we mentioned him when he played Captain Cargan earlier. Mm. Uh, he is the gentleman who was fired after the first season of The Simpsons, uh, and he could have been the voices of Mr. Burns and Mo Sislak for the entire uh, series, but he basically pissed everyone off uh, on the entire staff. Wow. Uh, he was also best known to our generation, perhaps, as the voices of Starscream and uh, Laserbeak. Um, in the Transformers and half of the G.I. Joe characters <laughs> just in all of our houses at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, really an interesting dude. He passed away quite a while ago. But we move right on to, holy shit, hello, Daniel Benzali, genre royalty. Do you know this guy, everybody? The no. The surgeon? Oh my goodness! He did look uh, familiar, born, though. The surgeon guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the surgeon. He's, he's bald as a Q. Um, the the main surgeon, uh, just and born in Rio de Janeiro, family of Brazilian Jews. His father was an actor in Brazilian theater and Yiddish theater, and he started out on the West End and in the RSC. He did Holiday out there with Mary Steenburgen and Malcolm McDowell, and wow. then was wow. the original Max in Sunset Boulevard with Patti Lapone. Wow. Dang. Then he was, or before that though, he was a replacement. He was uh, the replacement Perone in the original London Evita. He's the guy Chris Walken murders in A View to a Kill. Do you remember he walks into that office and shoots him dead? Um, he's in White Knights as one of the Russians, uh, the distinguished gentleman as one of the shithead politicians. <laughs> he had a lead role in Murder One. Do you remember that Boshko show? He's the guy who had. Uh, 
an amazing career as uh, uh, as the lead in this in this particular show for a year. And then Botchko said about a decade later that he was fired because he would not come to the set until he had his morning bowel movement. So he was often late. <laughs> Boundaries. So Botchko told the entire world that this guy was fired for that. He's a labor <laughs> activist. I, I swear to God, all of you just type in his name. You'll Without that head gear that he was wearing, you'll recognize him immediately. He was engaged to Kim Cattrall. Uh, through the 90s, but they broke it off right before Sex in the City. We move on Interesting. to another amazing guest star, our biomolecular physiologist, who is Ty Ma. <laughs> uh, if you don't know him, I, I really think you do, but if you don't, you certainly want to. He's done tons of big time stage work, uh, notably a lot of collaborations with David Henry Wong. Um, he's been in literally just every tv show and i i love that i can use literally to mean anything at this point because it has every meaning um if you if you want to go check out uh cocaine cowboys in 1979 he's got a fantastic role in that um just tons of stuff i i love him in the quiet american uh even the remake of the lady killers he's terrific we talk about Dante's Peak every chance we get, so you gotta go cheer that on. He's Consul Han in the Rush Hour series, which I'm sure we've all seen. Um, he's in Arrival, the uh, he's the commander of the Chinese military in that. He's literally in everything. Right now, he's uh, one of the leads in the new reboot of Kung Fu. So he is just doing everything. He was uh, one of the leads in The Man in the High Castle um, which uh, is certainly oh. familiar to those in Seattle. Yeah. Just a terrific, terrific, terrific actor. So that's that's where I spent most of my time looking on this. Of course, we we do get Ensign Gomez again. Nice. Always a pleasure to shout out to her. And uh, Leslie Morris played the other dumb uh, alien <laughs> who was in basically all of the movies that um, Sylvester Stallone did in the 80s and early 90s. So either they were friends or, or Stallone really enjoyed his work. He usually played a tough guy, gang member type guy. Um, but I love the performances both of them give in this. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Reginod. Thank you, yeah. Reginod. God, what a great name. Such a good name. All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, let's dive into the Nemesic files. Only two bullet points here. Uh, the aliens that stab Picard are the, uh, it's spelled Nasians, but he pronounced it, uh, Picard pronounces it differently, which I'm sure is the right way. Uh, and this is our first verbal homage to anime. We've had it creep in through the art, but uh, this is um, uh, a people from an anime series. Um and then the second one, we are going to get to a little bit later. So let's just crack it open. Love um, it. All right. Scene one, my two dads. Uh, Riker and uh, Data play good dad, bad dad, both good dads. So uh, Data seems like he's going to break West down about how hard it is. And it kind of brings it back around and, and peps him up. Uh, so... <laughs> He's going to West is going away, uh, and Riker is immediately the good dad, telling him he's going to do well. Um, and Data not so much at first. What did you guys think about uh, the little little scene here with the two dads? I thought it seemed to me like adults pretending they remember what it was like 
to be a kid going away to college for the first time. Like they remember the good stuff clearly. David remembers everything, but it, you can't compare Data's experience to to Wesley's. I just loved that Data very matter of factly said, "I did well on my tests because <laughs> <laughs> of course you did." It makes me happy. <laughs> well, that's basically what Wesley says, right? What you would or something yeah. like that. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, and that's a good point because I felt like there's a lot of snarkiness in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. From from two characters specifically, Wes and Jordy, but we'll talk about those as they come up. But it was a little snarky episode. I don't know if it was the line uh, or if it was their director who was trying to get them to go uh, in a less Gene Roddenberry way. But a uh, fun little opening with my two dads, and we jump right into egos and images. Uh, so the yet unknown procedure would be inappropriate for Pulaski to perform. So this is Picard going in uh, to Pulaski. Uh, oh, actually, we're in the middle of it. We find out that uh, there's something wrong, and Picard is going to have to go, and Pulaski immediately pulls out that I can boss you around card. Um, and, you know, Picard's really standoffish about, like, you can't do this, and I don't want anyone to know about it. Uh, oh, how did you guys feel about Picard in the scene? Well, for how many of you thought maybe it was his prostate? <laughs> <laughs> yes. A thousand percent. I really did think it was some type of, you know, urinary tract infection or something, you know, that needed to happen that would have, that would have damaged his, his image, uh, perhaps. But, yeah. <laughs> like, I talk about having had cancer all the fucking time. I'm so proud to have made it through that. If I was going to my third heart, yeah, I try to shut me up ever. <laughs> How many hearts you, you guys me? have had? Huh? I've had three, three, three fucking hearts. <laughs> I love so, how how salacious it it is left unsaid though, especially the you know it would be inappropriate for you to do this procedure, which is like what sort yeah, of history why? do they have, or like are yeah. they dating currently, or like what is happening? Does he have a really tiny penis? Like what right. is all this? Right? Why is it? I don't want your Pulaski hands inside me. That would be wrong. Right. <laughs> Pulaski hands. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I thought Picard was a little uh, too gruff in this one. Like it did, I, it didn't. It does add up. Like, but I was like, why is he so standoffish? So it made it seem like this is a much, uh, like you said, salacious. Not even grave. He was coming across like it's you know it, this is just personal. Like I don't talk about the wart on my ball sack yeah. kind of thing. Not uh, you know I just need a new heart. <laughs> So again, I wonder if it was a directorial choice to have these guys, these characters agitated in such a way. I mean, a lot of directors absolutely hate it when characters get along. Absolutely hate it. Right. So like, I understand that. Yeah, they want <laughs> Sometimes, the you know, we get along. Right. Uh, all right. So then we move on to uh, our next scene, looks all around. So this is Picard walking onto the bridge and informing Wes that he'll be accompanying him to the star base. Uh, and I don't think much happens in the scene until the very end when uh, Picard leaves and we get a look from Data to Riker and then Riker to Worf. <laughs> it's just, they pass the look along. Uh, and it's not the first time we're gonna get the look pass. Oh, the Agatha Christie special. Uh, did you guys take anything else from that scene or, or did I hit the meat of it there? 
and he goes up to 11 right before that too like picard is like uh like well, i'm well aware of the fact that i'm gonna miss my favorite pulsar show <laughs> and that was the thing like he brought it up to pulaski and then Riker bringing it up to him that was just fun like the rhythms of that you know they i enjoy when they understand that it's a fun sci-fi thriller show yeah and that Riker is just like what just happened you got you got anything you got anything all right, <laughs> right. and nobody has anything nobody's got uh, anything. so away we go to uh the captain's quarters and as Ellen DeGeneres always says, we pack way more books than we're ever going to read on trips. Uh, Picard is no exception. He packs three books for his quick jaunt for a yet unknown procedure. Uh, and here, Riker wants to know why he's leaving. Picard won't tell him. Riker pulls his own version of, well, I have a card that will make you make, tell me what I want to know. Picard still doesn't tell him what he's going to do, but he leaves it. Hey, it's a little personal. That's all I'm going to say. Captain's prerogative. Uh, and then Picard leaves with his books, but no bookmarks, I might add. Um, <laughs> what do you guys think about the scene between Picard and uh, Riker? I feel like that's how rumors get started, right? Like, there's no, there's nothing, you know, he does that thing on the bridge and then won't tell anybody what it is. Like, people are going to whisper more than if it was like, I just have to get a surgical procedure. No big deal. Right. He so makes it more talking dramatic. about him wearing uh, the panties, right? Because of his prostate cancer he has. <laughs> he must be pooping himself. <laughs> Eric? I'd like to posit a possible character uh, motivation yes. to Act 3 books. Um, he doesn't think of it as a minor procedure and is worried that he might be gone for a while uh, and is taking a few things that give him comfort and uh, you know he likes the the physical feel of a book and it's going to keep him calm for the trip and if he comes through the other side great he has things to read during the many days of recovery that he's afraid he'll have that's i agree it. i think that's canon still doesn't explain why no uh bookmarks <laughs> He's going to read it all the way through in one sitting. Yeah. I actually, just you saying that, Eric, makes me kind of now put that theory on the previous two scenes where his weird reactions is because he's nervous about this this, and is taking it out in such a strange way because uh, he doesn't know how to process his own emotions. I keep going back to the soap dish uh, scene where Whoopi Goldberg is told that they're going to have a brain transplant. And she's like, he won't have a hat. He won't have a brain when it is over. And that's what I'm thinking here. Like, he knows that there's going to be a moment where he doesn't have a heart in his body. Like, that's got to freak a person out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Podcast over. <laughs> you <trust> it. <laughs> All right, no, so now we move on to our next scene, semantics. But which branch... This is Wes walking down the hall corridor with Jordy uh, and our friend Gomez. And uh, they're trying to pep him up. And she just throws out there, you know, you can talk semantics. It doesn't bother to let him know if that should be formal and lexical or if it should be conceptual semantics. So she really kind of left him on the ledge there. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a fun little scene with them trying to, you know, bobbing it around and at the very end Picard just comes off the turbo lift while they're there and he doesn't say anything uh and this is 
This is the first of Jordy's, I think, kind of little bitchy quips where he's like, well, this is off to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And off to the... I just love that this scene, they say Captain Picard, like, I think four times throughout it and it's it, it's one of those things where if you say the same word over and over again it doesn't have it, the meaning and after a while i was like is that how you say it is that how you say picard <laughs> i had no idea uh it's so awkward and then it's a little bit like hey we were just talking about how interesting it would be to to, to talk to you and then here he is uh and uh, i like that little juxtaposition of yeah. you know jordy and uh ensign gomez talking the big talk but they're just as nervous around captain picard as wesley is <laughs> Maybe in the South they say Picard, <laughs> and in the rest of the, the country they say Picard. <laughs> His famous Picard pie. Yes, there it is. I, I, right. I go back to Data's quote uh, because one is my name, the other is not. <laughs> Data. Uh, all right, so we're off to our next scene, which uh, is my the first of uh, two. Uh, big Lebowski references. Uh, and I called the scene, uh, is this, what bay is this? Uh, and this because this was a rare flub on the writer's part. It's a little shuttle shuffle, or I should say shuttle bay shuffle, because um, Wesley uh, radios back to the watchtower or whoever it is who monitors this stuff uh, and says, we're leaving, this is shuttle bay or shuttle two leaving Shuttle Bay 2, but uh, if you look at the floor, it clearly says Shuttle Bay 3. Um, and interesting on this, Larry Nemesic in, in in his book, he says that there was a further mistake in that that Wesley says Shuttle Bay uh, Shuttle 2, leaving Shuttle Bay 2, but uh, he actually does say um, the right shuttle, because um, Larry suggests that it was they were actually in... Um, the Sarkov, which is one of the shuttles we've seen before, which is actually shuttle number one, but it's shuttle number two, the Einstein. So uh, it, it, it's a bit ironic that Larry would call them out for a mistake when, in fact, he's the one who uh, made the mistake. Is it possible they changed it for the remastering? I was going to ask, but that's changing the voiceover then too, right? Yeah. I mean, they could have changed the title as well. They could have changed the name on this shuttle, but they would have had to over dub over uh wesley's um audio in that as well that's true i mean i will wheaton seems like a nice guy yeah, maybe he'd, <laughs> maybe he'd volunteer <laughs> he's like i'll de-age my voice uh and and come right in hey yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> that was like uh 24 year old eric <laughs> all right so not much there except for the little flub they take off and then the next scene is uh now this is gone omg am i right so as soon as mccard's away from the ship Riker turns away he's like didn't he say he wanted to do this i'm like am i right guys he checks in with warp again like i mean this is weird right it's weird uh i mean what did you guys think about this because it's kind of the show's moving in a direction that's going to maybe be like a comedy of errors with the way they've been reacting to one another I just love that a distress signal shows up right away, right? It's just like, well, all right, Picard's not here. It's probably not even this scene. It's probably the next scene. But still, as soon as Riker's on his own, he's got to go deal with it. And he's asking Data, what do you think is going on with him? Totally forgetting the fact that they actually have a person on the ship whose sole purpose it is to let you know what's going on. In you know the interior monologue of other people, but don't you worry, there will be time enough to ignore her later. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Uh, all right, so then we move on to, believe it or not, uh, all this happens, all these scenes happen before the opening sequence. And by my count, that was seven French scenes in five minutes and 21 seconds into the episode before we see the Enterprise zooming through the stars in all the uh, actors' names, which it, it, uh, it hit me as unusual. I actually rewound it. Uh, when it got to the credits because I had to double check that I wasn't like in a loop. I'm like, I know I've already seen these credits. So I rewound right. and found that hadn't. no. Time was not, not squared. No. I love uh, that okay. effect though of a long cold open where you're not really expecting it. And then it just hits uh, even more. Like I loved how Stranger Things did that and played with that uh, when they didn't have to worry about commercial breaks and all that. But I oh, I wonder now, how could they have done that? How could they have messed up that timing so much in a syndicated show where you had to have, you know, your things happen every seven minutes or whatever? Yeah, that's um, a good point. I wonder if that was um, a DVD edit. Like later they just crunched them all together. Right. Or um, this is Sweeps Week, right? Isn't it May traditionally when Sweeps uh, would be happening? Ah. Uh, they wanted people to stay on for longer. So maybe, yeah. Maybe they're like, we'll hook them in, and then that way we'll, yeah. we'll do that. I'm not sure. Don't click away. Right. Because <laughs> there was a lot of clicking in 1989. Well, and they were they were still syndicated, right? So I, I would think they would have a little more leeway uh, since they had to individually negotiate with each of the stations and stuff. Like they could say, they could dictate that more than a, mm. a network yeah, yeah. might. Uh, okay, so then uh, we're on to hold on. Where's the camera? Or is this a uh, uh, what day is this? That's my other Big Lebowski <laughs> quote. And this is of course where we meet the uh, our our protagonist for the episode, the Packlids. These guys are pretending <laughs> to be what they are, but still, I think we need to talk about uh, if it was uh, your 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 feelings on the way they were presented. And specifically for me, I want to see what you guys think about the eyebrows, uh, the pouty lip with the little thing that juts out from the middle of the bottom lip, how they did the makeup so their eyes looked very pouty and Eeyore-like. Like, I mean, they went out of their way to make these people look the way they sounded, or at least the actors got into the makeup and they're like, well, this is how I sound. I can't do anything different. I mean, what what was your instinct there, Eric? Well, for me, I again, I went back to to um, Christopher Collins, who who played the captain. And I'm like, he's one of the most accomplished voice actors kind of in in recent Hollywood history. So I I just loved his performance in this. And I'm like, you could take that makeup and think of it like a mask mm. and and mostly do voice work. Uh, but he didn't just do that. Like his eyes were so engaged and his body was so engaged. Like I think the performances throughout this are incredible. And I just kind of want to give them the credit for that. Do you know that, that they, it's a mixture of what you said. They certainly adjusted to their makeup, but also just came up with these great characterizations. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the acting was spot on. Um, I, I like the reveal though. about it being great characterization though. Really? It seemed to me, and not be, from an actor's standpoint. Like it was. Oh, I don't know. I don't mean the design. Yeah, I, I mean they they, they played it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, it was just like, it, it all seemed very surface level. Of let's present this race of beings. 
and and that's where it kind of it was very one dimensional. Like it, it didn't make me want to know more about the Packlins. Hmm. Yeah, what I wrote down on that one is that they're they're not subtle characters. It, it seems like a very again late '80s conservative kind of character to to write. You know, these uneducated takers that you know nice people who mean well are taken advantage of by you know the, the it's it's a compelling trope that has done a lot but i, I think we shouldn't fall for it <laughs> i just wanted them to have droopy dog voices yeah we are the collectors <laughs> we we want everything to make us go <laughs> <laughs> I love the reveal. Like you get you get them talking for a little bit. Uh, I guess it was Collins, the captain, and he's turned it aside. He's and then staring he, away. He kind of comes into it. Uh, I really like that because it is such a almost clownish uh, appearance. Um, I'm reminded of uh, uh, the scene from Chicago where uh, John C. Riley is Amos. yeah is is painting himself. Uh, it almost felt like they were they had to go that kind of direction uh, in order to get this across. And I also was thinking of that earlier episode uh, with the drug addict who had a similar kind of thing. Oh, I don't know. It's not working here, man. Um, you know, I kind of like they, they took that premise and went a completely different way with it uh, on, on the introduction here. I mean, real quick, also in this scene, when Jordy comes in, he has his second little quip. He's like, what does there did the rubber band break? Uh, yeah. which, <laughs> you know, it's not derogatory, but it's a dick thing to say. Uh, but he positions, Jordy positions himself next to Riker in one of the coolest poses. Because Riker's, of course, got his chest puffed out and his arms back. And Jordy just sidles up at an angle. So he's right next to him. And it's like uh, two dudes taking a prom picture as buddies, though. Just good friends. Sometimes they <laughs> wrestle, but that's all. Uh, I love the little scene they had there. Uh, and then Worf has a very reasonable objection yes. to sending their chief engineer over to do something that probably any of the Enterprise engineers could do. And this is the first of uh, Riker roundly rejecting something very reasonable. She's like, nope, we got to do it. We don't have any other choice. That's, what, that's our mission statement as a Federation troopers is we have to put our most important people in danger. So we're going to do it. They should have listened to Worf. They really should have. I was thinking the same exact thing. It's like, we don't know. He literally just says it. We don't know anything about them, which is very true. They don't, they don't know anything. Turn your sensors up to maximum. You're still not going to get, you know, like, uh, why would why would you put them in danger? And of course, Riker's response is like, well, we outgunned them. We can just blow them up with <laughs> with Jordy on board. Like the logic is wrong from the he get-go. Says we outmanned them and outgunned them. Yeah. Which immediately is like, I knew Lin-Manuel stole that line from somewhere. And now we know. <laughs> it's from this episode of TNG. All right. So then we're back on to the Einstein, which is the shuttlecraft Wes and Picard. I'm sorry, Picard are on. <laughs> Uh, and there's not much going on here other than learning what procedure Picard needs. So this is where we finally find out that uh, he's getting a new heart. And Picard opens up just a little bit. He just needed someone to talk to, I guess. Um, so, yeah, Kate, what do you think about this? Well, I have trouble with the interior of that shuttle uh, because he brings three books and it is very low lighting in there. Mm -hmm. And then there is a white light 
that blinks on and off unceasingly. And as an actor, it would drive me fucking crazy. Because mm. as, as an observer, it drove me fucking crazy. Because I was like, what is that blinking light and why? Uh, and, and again, I just worry about eye strain for P- Picard. <laughs> we knew he has a bad heart. So it's not like the blood's actually getting up there. I liked his pose. I like his pose of holding the book up. Yes. He looked very just, you know, I am a reader. Yeah. <laughs> Look and at that's me. where I got the, the no bookmark thing, because this is the first time where he closes it. And he has that very snap. dramatic flair, like he snaps it closed, but there's no bookmark there. I got to tell you, Jimmy, I do not use bookmarks. How do you find your page? It takes me a while. (laughs) (laughs) But I do not use bookmarks. Cheers. Yeah. (laughs) I just got to be honest with my friend Jimmy. All right. So uh, we jump from the Einstein uh, to Eeyore's in space. This is where Jordy actually meets the pack lids. And immediately they converge on him. Not in a threatening way of hers, but, you know, like, oh, here's a new person. Uh, and there's actually a kind of funny moment where one of the pack lids is caught with his hand on Jordy. Like he's, you know, trying to check him out. And Jordy looks and he, like, pulls his hand away like he was caught. Um, and they lay it on kind of thick here, really playing up that we're not that smart. And we hope you can help us out. And the music in this scene suggests uh that this is not a sinister group it has this real campy kind of circus thing as it as it uh takes us away from them uh before we jump over to the enterprise i mean what what did you guys think about this initial um interaction between the packlids kate and jordy yeah like you uh jimmy i had forgotten about the turnaround you know like what their nefarious like sort of until this moment because there is so much foreshadowing. They're talking to him about, you're going to make our thing go. We look for things that make us go. And I was like, oh shit, they're going to kidnap Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> it's that final scene too, that on a couple of rewatches, that's the creepiest one is because they're all around smiling and nodding. And then you're like, that's, you know, that's sinister really. If you think about it, they're like, our plan is working creepy and they use those super close-ups with people in the background as well like it's it's nice yeah uh and then so our next scene is kind of just a crossover well i mean we we go right over to troy just storming onto the bridge i'm imagining her getting woken up by a nap like she's like wait a second (laughs) someone's in trouble (laughs) (laughs) she tears up to the bridge she says jordy's in danger grave danger and then it cuts to warp you're like I told you, bitch. <laughs> I warned you this was going to happen. But, and of course, they don't listen to Worf or Troy, which makes me wonder if this is what really brought them together. Mm. Like, if they got together and you're like, you know what? Riker never fucking listens to us. Canon. And uh, boom. Canon. That's what led so to. <laughs> There's so much canon to it. <laughs> uh, and then that immediately goes right in. So it, it cuts away to commercial, comes back, and it carries on with that. Troy's uh, really emphasizing that there's something going on here. Um, I like your choice of words and like what I don't feel is helplessness. Right. And you're like, okay, right. Like that's something that, you know, you can interpret a lot of emotions, but if they're not feeling like they're like they're in danger or that they're stressed out, okay, that's a pretty good indicator. But, you know, yeah. roundly ignored. Roundly ignored. <laughs> 
<laughs> Roundly rejected. Prior restraint. <laughs> All right. An impromptu one. A Lebowski in the wild. All right. So uh, we end with that that little um, Troy warning. Hop into the 2.4% scene. So this is where we really do um, find out about uh, um, Eric's, uh, his theory here, which I think is right, that this whole thing has been about him. He is worried, however uh, silly it may seem. So here's your chance to uh, to create a little bit more canon, okay? I'm going to throw it out to anyone who wants. So what personal reasons does Picard have to not let Pulaski perform this procedure? This is what I'm saying. Because we find out by the end that she is really the most qualified to do this procedure. Maybe the only one. Uh, my question was... Uh, did she give him the first one? That's my that's my all the oh, way go back. No, Kate, that's not your question. That's your canon. That's my canon. <laughs> that's my canon. Pulaski gave him the first heart, which has failed. It and just now failed. he doesn't see her as somebody who's capable of doing this successfully. It would be inappropriate. Because she married that Nausicaan. That stamping. <laughs> yes! yes! <laughs> that was her boyfriend at the time. One of the husbands. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh, that's a really good cannon. A lot of cannon just flying around. A lot around. of cannon. <laughs> Heavy cannons. Okay, so um, we learned about that. And then uh, we hop over to our next scene, which is Jordy's rave stick. Uh, so this is him with his big... His big uh, stick where he's uh, it's bleeping and making sounds as he's, you know, tricordering and uh, Dr. Hooey, ah. all the instruments there. Uh, and we get words like uh, Venturi chambers, reputed engine coils, and refigure separators. So a lot of great technobabble here. <laughs> that prop was terrible, though. <laughs> it's not the first time we've seen it. I know. <laughs> but then also he takes out these circuit boards. And he's like, look, the separator's here. Yeah. Like, there's separators yeah, yeah. on a circuit board, and then you, all you right. do is take them out and then tap a thing on them and put them back right. in. That's what I mean, Doctor Who. He was just a lot it's of... just so far above our our ken. We just it, we can't hope to be on the level <laughs> of these 23rd century uh, all right. masters. Cheap engineers. Um, so in this same scene, he fixes it, but then right away, uh, Riker calls in. And he's pretty upfront. He's like, you know, Troy thinks you're in danger. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say that verbatim, but it's pretty clear. He's Troy's wondering, he has a little bit of concern for you. And, and Jordy just dismisses it out of hand. Like, ah, there's nothing to worry about here. And I mean, is this just another disrespecting of Troy here? Like, she's not taken seriously by the person who's in danger. And he, you know, the, the the world of Star Trek has shown us that um, if she has a feeling, then we should listen to that feeling. Even Data calls her out, though, too. Was like, oftentimes, Counselor Choi knows shit, and Riker's still like, mm -hmm. nah, I don't believe it. Mm -mm. I think there's a lesson here, or there's a study here about uh, uh, pride and about uh, elitism and classism, mm. because they immediately assume that the people are below them and beneath them uh, yep. in every way. And so how could they possibly be a threat to them? 
So there, there's this like cognitive dissonance that, that won't allow them to see them any other way. Wow. And thank you for bringing cognitive dissonance into the conversation. You're welcome. It's always elevates the podcast. <laughs> uh, seriously. Uh, okay. So off to uh, our next scene, which is P&W passive aggression in space. Oh my gosh. <laughs> proof that Wes Crusher is actually from Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> which is the same thing um so this is west confronting picard about not liking kids and, and he does it uh, in a very passive aggressive way in a way that i don't think any ensign would actually ever address uh, a captain like trying to be so familial I, I mean what do you guys think about that? did you take away that there's any kind of confrontational vibe here i know he was trying to be cute wesley crusher but that's what makes it passive, aggressive the, Pacific Northwest. The whole line is is just wrong, right? He opens the conversation by saying, ah, I guess you would have liked Riker more than me. And you're <laughs> like, wait, Eeyore. what? There's so many layers to that. I, <laughs> All right. I, I, I felt bad for him. I wrote down way to start an awkward conversation. And then later I just wrote in all caps, Wesley, read the room. Like, <laughs> yes, he just struggles. Yes. Picard walks away and sits in behind him. And Wesley takes that as a cue to turn around and carry on the conversation. With the most awkward question. How come you don't have kids? Right. <laughs> Did you ever want cats? Right. Does your dick work? <laughs> Is that where you're going to get the, the I was walking out of a a freaking read-through once, and I, I had run into someone I hadn't seen in 15 years, and that's basically what I opened with. Like a freaking dick. <laughs> Just like, so did you ever get married, have kids? I'm like, oh, as it was leaving my mouth, I'm like, oh, don't do that. Right. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. Well, that scene. That I mean, that was the meat of that scene. Rest, Wesley just bullying Picard about uh, the kid thing. And I feel for the writers here because I, they clearly couldn't come up with a better way to get out this information. But they really did want to bury the hatchet that was set up in Encounter at Flower Point, right? Like they really. This is from the pilot episode that you know that Picard is uncomfortable around kids and specifically one kid. Wesley Crusher. And so I think they needed to bring it up, but I just, uh, the way that it happened, maybe it is just, you could chalk it up to yeah. awkward 15 year old, uh, uh, making it happen. But they, they, it, it felt like a, like a forced entry into, into the, the conversation here. I agree. They could have done it with some kind of action rather than dialogue. That would have been memorable. Mm -hmm. Maybe heart failure in the shuttlecraft. Yeah. Wesley, Wesley has to get there, make it happen. He's the only one who could save yep. him. Uh, all right, so then we move on to he's our go guy. Uh, Riker really wants Jordy back, the, uh, and the Packlets continue to lean into uh, where the dunces thing. Um, and then the Packlets do drop a hint that they want way more out of Jordy than just a quick fix. And this is what um, Kate was uh, alluding to earlier: with uh, he he can make it go. He is smart. Uh, and then it shifts back to the the Packlet ship. Uh, Jordy makes a funny with the whole I hate to repair and run. <laughs> Trying to keep it light before things get dark. <laughs> uh, awkward moment when the pack links <laughs> grab Jordy's phaser 
Jordy looks down at his stomach before he gets shot. Wait, don't do that. Then he gets blasted with the phaser and it gets blown back. So I don't know if that was bad editing or what, but didn't quite work out. Uh, and Riker gets really pissed here. Don't do that. Uh, don't do that. Stop that. Uh, he gets bossy. He's ultimately totally ignored. Uh, you know, and only if he would have listened to, I don't know, Worf and or Troy, maybe we wouldn't be uh, in this position. So, I mean, first of all, Eric, I mean, did you catch that? Did, did it hit you as odd the way the phaser? Not the phaser was grabbed. That was totally believable. It yeah. was a shot in reaction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Star Trek often tries to have it both ways with stun and kill. Mm. Like, mm. if it's going to stun, I don't right. think it can have the force of, throwing you against a right. wall behind you like the the awful shit that that people use to stun people right now doesn't even do that so mm. like and and that shit's like illegal in the geneva convention <laughs> so like i i don't buy it it was well executed though okay the thing that only really struck me upon viewing this a couple of times is that they may not have a lot of technology on the ship but the camera technology is very good huh. <laughs> Especially since the Enterprise view screen is basically like on like a ring, you know, security cam the entire time watching what's <laughs> happening. It's the first time we see the screen just being used as in that way, just being have a, you know, it's a two way uh, video on the whole time. You, you know, when Troy comes up and be like, what's happening here? You get to see them in front of the view screen, which you don't normally get to see. Um, and this is another example of like, why would they have the video screen on in this situation to be watching right. it? Uh, they, you know, that doesn't seem like protocol. They only really seem to have that on when there is active communication going back and forth. Um, hacked it. Yeah, they hacked the they hacked the matrix. <laughs> uh, so that takes us to our next scene: maximum sensitivity, which is the title of the scene and not a condom ad. Um, oh, God. <laughs> you're, you're something special tonight, Jimmy. I'm loving it. Go ahead. So, it's a Riker uh, scene. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's a Riker scene. Yeah, Riker says. Set the sensors to maximum sensitivity, <laughs> which again, we've asked this before. I mean, why aren't they at? Does, is it a big power drain? Is that it? Like they, That's they what might, I think. They might run out of dilithium crystals if they're always at maximum <laughs> sensitivity. It's... But it is Riker just messing up again. Like he just is like, man, I got played and y'all were right. But we don't get any acknowledgement of that. And I wish well, we'll get to yeah. it when we do our final thing. But I really wish there was something. To, right. Uh, to, no, he to, really is shit in the bed being uh, in charge on this day. Uh, so then we go to True Confessions on the Einstein, and this is where we find out about the um, the aliens that stabbed him and how he was a little brash as a youngster, and he learned some hard lessons there. Uh, what do you guys think about this? This little heart to heart and the the exposition we get uh, for the Picard story. I will just say. Jean-Luc Picard eats sandwiches very strangely. <laughs> I, the way he put it in his mouth yeah. and then very consciously chewed it, I, I was like, is that how, he, is that how uh, Patrick Stewart eats? Or is he doing an affectation here? Well, I was going to bring attention to the fact that it is really difficult to eat and act at the same time. Mm. And uh, you have to do certain, like I had a, I did uh, August Osage County a few million years ago. And there's a huge family dinner in that. And having to time out the eating with all of the 
you know, words and acting that have to happen. It's, it's, it's not easy. So you, you find yourself like putting food sort of towards the back of your mouth or like really towards the front of your mouth. So you can like hide it between your gums and shit like that. Especially on camera. You don't want to see the food being chewed. No, that'd be gross. Uh, and I think they're having cucumber sandwiches. And speaking of how oddly he eats them, he picks up the sandwiches at the end of the scene very oddly. Because he, he curls his hand backwards and picks up the hand and, and hands out the tray with his knuckles uh, facing out in one direction. Rather than the, the holding the plate with his fingers on the bottom of the plate. Which is much more comfortable. And and I know it's a mistake because the, they cut to a scene immediately and he switched hands. Yeah. Uh, because it was so uncomfortable for him to hold the plate that way. He's like, okay, we got to go. We can't this do this. Is, I can't hold this. Yeah. Um, I challenge any other Star Trek podcast to talk this much about placement of hands and business right. uh, props. <laughs> they can't because they're not number 167 in the Netherlands. They really aren't. It's true. Uh, but as far as the emotion of this scene, I do. I, I think this is what they should have led with. Maybe they needed to have the awkwardness early on to get to this kind of understanding. But it is really nice to see Picard let down his guard a little bit and really tell an honest story uh, uh, about something that he kind of regrets uh, in some ways and, and how he learned that lesson. You know, and I kind of really took that to heart uh, along with Wesley. So thanks, Dad Picard. No, I agree. And, you know, we've made a lot of canon tonight, and, and I don't want to stop. So I'm going to throw this off to Eric. So uh, in the story that Picard tells about how uh, he was stabbed, he makes reference to, um, I had him in a rather devious joint lock. Ooh. Eric, what is a devious joint lock? You're talking knees. You're talking shoulders, wrists, not ankles as much, hips. Like, that's what you're talking. Shoulders and hips, really, if, if you're really wanting to fuck somebody up. He says joint lock as opposed to a specific joint, so I'm going to go with multiple joints. There are ones you can do over your head that get elbow and shoulder. And, and you can get elbow, shoulder, and wrist all at the same time. If you do it, you probably get finger, too. Maybe, maybe finger, too. Uh, or thumb. And the finger. Like, you can... You can really stretch people six different ways if you if you need to and is it true that this is called the picard lock <laughs> it is now <laughs> canon. record number of canon references in this podcast i did mark how he, he had that specific term for it which made me feel a little bit like he was trying to like show off to wesley being like i know my i know my combat moves that you're going to be studying and I might even get questions about on your starfleet exam Hey, it might be that in a martial arts somewhere, there is a lock called the devious joint lock. So, I mean, I encourage y'all to look it up, but that was just off the top of my own little tiny head. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So we jump off to um, Jordy comes to. So this is he's coming to from after being uh, phaser blasted against the wall. Um, We see a little scene with Riker being anxious on on, uh, the Enterprise, wanting to know how they can get them out of there. And he's talking to um, Data and he gives Data a little bro slap on the shoulder like, you can do this, come on, as he's walking by. Um, And then uh, Jordy learns, this is where Jordy learns about the replicator that the uh, Packlets have. Um, and then he, he, now he knows, and, and because of that, we know this is what they're really after. They have a replicator and they're just trying to steal as much technology as they can, um, so they can put it in this machine and, and 
make more of it, even if they don't really know uh, what it is. Um, and uh, this is where we see the turn. This is the turn for the um, the pack the pack lids. And I thought this was very uh, Thor Ragnarok, the Hulk Thor Ragnarok, because we get the scene where he goes. He says, "You have a replicator," and they say, "That's not broken." And it's the way they say it. It's like they've been doing, you know, ooh, it's broken, and they're very dopey. And then there, there's way more confidence in this way. That's not broken. Like they understand what's going on and what they've done, um, which comes with a very. I, I have a question about it later on. Um, so, what do you think about this change in in their tactics and their demeanor? I mean, how did it hit you, Kate? Uh, I mean, this is everything that's been, you know, we've sort of been leading up to this moment from the very first time we see them. You know, it's this sort of push and pull of how innocent are they? Uh, and I agree with you that that final that that's not broken is very chilling. Um, yeah. Eric. I completely agree, but I'm also even more impressed that in the performance of it, they did not make them smarter. They. Yes. They had this plan and they affected it knowing how they come across, but they come across the way they are. They're still stupid. They just have this cunning yes. uh, series of uh, situations that, that work to their advantage. That's exactly, I actually, I wrote that down. I was like, I think that, are they cunning or smart? Probably cunning. Mm. And it made me think of uh, that line um, that Tyrion's father says to him in, in, in Game of Thrones, like you have a certain low cunning about you. Yeah. Oof. Gotta kill that guy. I like that you mentioned uh, Hulk because it's and sometimes he is a villain, uh, you know, or 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 an adversary to the heroes in the story. And I and it made me think of things like uh, Breaking Bad or or some other kind of anti-hero stories. And that you know that's sometimes the most satisfying thing to watch is when someone who has been thought of as one way then gets his comeuppance and is able to kind of be threatening without changing his very nature or, 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 you know, their very nature. Uh, okay. And so then we're off uh, back to the Einstein where we learn Wes hasn't been doing his homework. And by that, I mean, uh, Picard brings up the past in different ways of, you know, different speed of travel and asks if Wes read the book he was given and Wes, you know, kind of, Powdily says, "Well, I haven't had time." Parts of it, <laughs> which begs the question: If the captain <laughs> gives you a book, don't you have to read it? I mean, it's—I don't know if you look for time when you can. You—you you are required to make time, right? I mean, especially yes. if you think this guy doesn't like you, but he gives you a book, which he doesn't give everybody. And then you don't read it. Maybe you're the reason he doesn't like it. What you don't know is that he gave him that book at the beginning of the shuttle trip and just has high expectations. (laughs) Ah, And Wesley's like, how can I read? It's so dark in here. And that blinking (laughs) fucking light. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then we're off to uh, Psych, You're the Dummies. Uh, This is where we we officially find out it's all a ruse. Uh, we knew they were bad guys to see before, but now we find out that there was actually nothing wrong with the ship. Everything was a ruse or a snare, if you will. A honeypot. No, wait, that's different. So, <laughs> so Riker and I judged a book by their cover because I thought they were just dummies. And uh, I was wrong, as uh, Riker was. 
And then this is where I wrote, uh, are the Paculates cutting or smart? And is there a difference? I don't think I would use one over the other if I were writing something. I think they have different connotations. I do too. I think cunning implies uh, the ability to trick someone. Like you, you have mm -hmm. the intelligence that's necessary in order to pull the wool over someone's eyes. You don't necessarily have the intelligence to, uh, you know, engineer a ship. Right. But what about the long-term plan here? I mean, they seem to have, this has worked, we know, at least against the Klingons. Uh, who's the one other really, the Romulans, and there's another really- Gerada, which I- Yeah, I, the Gerada. Uh, so, and some pretty tough people. I mean, those are pretty tough races, and they pull the wool over that. And I'm not arguing that makes them smart, but it does seem like they have a, a long game plan, or at least they, they've stuck with the game plan, and, you know- when it works, it works. When it doesn't, they lose that crew, maybe. I don't know. All right. So then we're off to our next scene, which is uh, back on the Starbase, which is located on the ground. And I don't know. Maybe I take things too literally. But I thought a Starbase is something that's out in stars. So uh, here we find that Wes is a spy or a babysitter. He's been, you know, been ordered to make sure Picard uh, makes it to um, the hospital and does what he's supposed to do. Uh, Wes is so sweet in this one that my tooth hurts. Like, I mean, just... He's the best. <laughs> gooey sweet. This is gonna, takes us off to Request Denied. Uh, some pretty fun lines here where Riker makes a couple of requests uh, and the packet captain just says, Request Denied. Request Denied. <laughs> I mean... Some, there's some big little sibling energy in that Request Denied, too. Like, I feel like, oh, okay. I, I, I Now uh, I understand this captain a little bit more. <laughs> Uh, and here's here's they have a line in here where they said you think we're not smart and and they say it as if they're hurt by it yet they really lean into the simpleton thing but then are upset when people actually buy the simpleton thing <laughs> that doesn't um, seem weird to me yeah that doesn't seem weird but also there is a a, a moment early in the in the episode where someone posits it might have been Jordy that or, or data that perhaps they're not you know slow it might have something to do with their speech pattern and that it's just a, a function of their their form of communication which is very quickly ignored again again yeah i feel like you're right it's hard to deal with and figure out but there are many many people like that in in my experience as well it's so like an it's, overcompensation it's so thing interesting. i mean it yeah. ma also makes me think like maybe they even stole this ruse from some computer bank <laughs> story that they read right and so they didn't even yeah. come up with this they were just like oh yeah let's try and do it that this is us we could do this george yeah i like that what yeah, is that jimmy is, yeah i'll go with it canon canon, canon. canon. and this is this is where my opinion of them really changed because i thought they i knew they were bad but then now they're they're threatening to kill Jordy with all phaser of them. It's like, okay, this isn't uh, a simple simpleton who's trying to trying to just get ahead. I mean, this is malicious. And they know that it's malicious. They have that much intelligence to know that they're putting somebody at risk and using that as leverage to try and get something from somebody else. And that is pretty high on the devious list. As well as oh, yeah. they even say it out loud, being like, you want him good 
Like, like right. that's the leverage. They even like you know they 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 call it out. Yeah, they're criminals. They are. So then we uh, head back to the Enterprise, uh, the No Options Options Conference. So this is they're all in the conference room, uh, talking about all the options they don't have. They're they're trying to ascertain why the Packlids are acting the way they do. Um, and by doing it, they're sort of maybe making us, uh, telling us how to think about ourselves in 1989 because they're like, they're unwilling to wait for things to happen in a timely manner. Uh, the more they want, the more, uh, the more they get, the more they want. So it's, it's a little bit of capitalism and communism commenting on well i think it's no mistake that all of the actors that play the packlids are gentlemen of size mm-hmm. yes it's it's all wally up in that bitch <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, I just want to say something about this conference room scene is the absolute heroics of both lieutenant wharf and counselor troy for not saying i fucking told you so right True. like not editing that once man yeah, and they totally should have because the, the whole thing could have been avoided but then we wouldn't have an episode <laughs> i guess that's true. always the case with star Trek. we like having episodes and then this is where Riker comes up with the plan right of like what he's what he's gonna do would you be <laughs> suggesting a ruse of some sort <laughs> i would <laughs> i would <laughs> and we'll talk about that ruse in a second <laughs> Uh, but first, I want to join in all of the inevitable failure scenes. And this is, of course, the surgery. Mm. Off of I, well, this. I just want to start with surgery is frightening enough. So why give them blood red scrubs? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that does not engender a, a sense of well-being. Well, no. they hide stains so well. <laughs> that's, what I, right, right. That's, that's why they're wearing brown pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there is little chance. The way they introduce this, there is very little chance that anybody other than a TNG character was going to be able to pull off uh, this surgery. I mean, he's boastful. He's done it a hundred times. His routine. <laughs> like, at one point, when things start to go south, he says, "There's a capillary reaction," and yes. I'm like, "Does that mean bleeding?" <laughs> because you can just say bleeding right but as i wrote down there's a bunch of medical talk which isn't as much fun as techno battle it's basically the same thing though he's just throwing out you know you know multisyllabic words as much as possible and he does it so well cyclic declination and i think it's worth pointing out that both of the doctors that have all of that techno babble in this are multilingual and that's got to help Ooh, when memorizing yeah. this this shit. <laughs> like, it's got to help. Yeah. You can say these right? words and ma- make it sound awful as an actor, right? Like, yeah, they totally. pull off the intention of what's happening here really, really well. So I do have to get into that. Even though once you actually think about what the words actually mean, you're like... Well, it's funny you should say that, Greg. Because I want to play a very quick round of Boulder Dash. <laughs> Greg, define heterocyclic declination. Uh, that is when two hair follicles uh, become conjoined and then uh, grow away from each other again. <laughs> <laughs> I vote for it. Yeah, I think that is what it means. <laughs> uh, all right, so then they bring in the uh, biomolecular physiologist. 
the way he asks for that, he does a full turn to camera. We yeah. need a biomedical physiologist in here. This man is dying, yes. is what he ah. says. <laughs> it is so intense. Biomolecular. Fantastic. I tell you, check out Daniel Benzali. What a fucking stud. Still around. Still teaching at NYU, I believe. Yeah. This is the scene he always uses in his classes, too. He's like, God. I had to do this fucking shit, and you guys can do it, too. I swear to you, you're going to remember exactly who it is when you Google him. Even he can't do anything. Um, but he knows somebody who can, dot, dot, dot. Daimon can't do it. He's the one who's called in. He can't do it. And now it's Pulaski. Pulaski's the one who can do it. So we're jumping scenes here, just because I'm, I'm compressing all of the surgical ones. So Pulaski's the one who comes in, but we don't know. They want to save the reveal. We just see a person in red. And it cuts to Picard, who's pretty gruff at seeing Pulaski. What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and Pulaski just laughs it off. Like, oh, you're just coming out of surgery. This is one of those moments that every actor wants. Peeling off the surgical gloves and making a one-liner. Everybody wants one of those. Not everybody gets them. She's very lucky. A lot of... Of medical tropes uh, are in are very packed into this, like you know these several scenes. Uh, my favorite one though is the fuse him, and then like the lasers come in, and they're like hit him yeah. again. Yeah. And I was like, is he Ed Harris from the Abyss? Like, what's going on here? Yes. <laughs> and what are they fusing? I don't know. Usually, fusing is bad, right? Right. Can be. It's that uh, heterocyclic declination. They had to get those <laughs> those pubic hairs going back into the same direction. Yeah, it's very tough to do. Uh, okay, so we uh, we leave the medical the surgical room, uh, and Jordy is as confused as I am about what Riker's plan is because Riker tells him what to do, and I I had no idea what he was talking about or hinting at. How about you guys? No fucking clue. I was lost. It made no sense at all. And no. then Worf joins in, and I, I, I got nothing. I get, well, so Data, I thought, helped clear it up a little bit. Like, you do, you know, you, it has something to do with photons. And then it's like, oh, Worf, shut up with your whole, oh, wait a minute. Worf's actually helping out, as it turns out. Because I think 24 was meant to be, like, a very clear, like, do it. Wink, um, wink. Like, the 24th minute or do it 24 times. I, I don't know what it was, but 24 was clearly a very brazen sign from Worf to Jordy about what to do. It, it, I don't know what that is. Scenario but... 24. Well, then, the old rope-a-dope. They, they eventually do a 24-second countdown, so it, it makes sense in, in retrospect. It, it was 24-second countdown. But how would Jordy so could... know that until the moment, right? Because, right, and how would they he know that? He just seconds. knows twenty four is going to be important, right? Because of Jack Bauer. People, people. And then, of course, the scene ends with Troy. Let uh, us know that Jordy's afraid. We all are. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. And then we go back to the pack lids, um, and this is where um, Jordy's trying to implement some kind of plan. He's working on uh their their power system and they say make us strong 
it, you know, the scene was fine. There's just one little moment between Jordy and the captain that I thought was a little odd where Jordy like just dramatically rips his arm away from him. And he's like, you said you just wanted uh, me to make you go. So he seemed really almost like offended, like hurt. Like I tried to help you guys. I thought we were going to be buddies. Now I know you're just jerks. Well, he did get stunned twice. Yes. It, it makes one a little <laughs> salty. <laughs> you know what? Uh, you're right. I'm going to backpedal on that. He had every right <laughs> to rip his arm. Don't touch me. You just phased me twice, asshole. Don't phase me, bro. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I'll, I'll, I'll see myself out. No. Stay. Stay forever. Uh, we have a quick little scene with the antimatter charges. So Jordy is setting the trap there. Um, and then we uh, we hit back over to the ship. Uh, we get to see Gomez again. Um, one of her, the last times we ever get to see her as it, uh, uh, as we know. And the trap is a little, is clarified a little bit more because we're in engineering uh, and, and Gomez doesn't quite know if Jordy will understand what's going to happen when she gets everything going. And um, it's not, crystal clear it's clear as mud kind of uh but Riker's <laughs> confident that um jordy knows exactly what to do it's like he's on the same page i know it uh and then we go on to teeth are for chewing so <laughs> this is the little quip that the packlids have uh because jordy says your arm to the teeth and they of course couldn't resist the line teeth are for chewing it feels like something i'd say so i i bought <laughs> it it's uh, like the spit take. If you have a shot to take a spit take, you take it, even though it's a trope. You and then uh, we have the countdown to destruction, which you know Kate so brilliantly pointed out. This is what Worf was referring to at the twenty-four, uh, and that brings us to maybe my favorite moment of the episode, uh, and that's the crimson force field. What mm. actually happens in this scene? I still don't fucking understand. They vent the hydrogen through the Kapalaja dome. Right, and this is, and it does actually make sense after the fact because Data does say, "Don't forget the hydrogen," blah 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 blah. Like he he gives them the clues as to what they're going to do. They don't want to mess with the Crimson Force Field, so Jordy gets beamed directly on to the bridge, which begs the question: Why do they have transporter pads? Because they're not a transporter pad on the Packlet ship. He gets beamed right to the bridge so why not just beam people from wherever they are instead of like all right head over to the transporter room and uh get down to the thing just like beam them from where you are right because of plot reasons <laughs> they need it they need a time think, for walking and talking i think it's a union thing <laughs> <laughs> and i support ayatsi in this yeah uh, hell yeah as, as thousand well. percent <laughs> i mean i always just kind of figured again like the power drain thing like there is some advantage either in you know the mathematical certainty of having this space free all the time or in um, the energy consumption i'm this doesn't matter it's plot it's really just it's because science it's because it's of science it also there must be like uh something against certain farm animals dude oh that's next episode dude Camels. fuck it let's roll wait till next episode <laughs> all right so Captain on the bridge, Picard uh, returns to the Enterprise to applause. Oh, uh uh-uh. uh. No, thank you. I like that. <laughs> uh, uh, and Jordy has another sarcastic quip when he comes in. <laughs> it's like, they just don't know when to shut up or quit laying it on. Uh, but Picard will suffer no exaggerations about his health. 
So he's straight to the end. He's not giving up this. Don't talk about my shit, man. Yeah, can I just tell everyone you're on your third heart? Like, that's not an exaggeration, Cap. Is that okay? Oh, right. <laughs> Cap. <laughs> I think he's also the happiest he is in this entire episode during this scene. Like, he, even though he, 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 the words that he's saying is like, don't talk about it. He's actually, I think, a little bit pleased, A, that he got through it, uh, that he enjoyed his trip with uh, Wesley Crusher, uh, and that his crew is giving him this round of applause. I think he's a little bit putting it on uh, here, but I think I think he's actually happy again. Well, his heart's working for the first time in forever. <laughs> he grew three sizes. <laughs> that day. <laughs> Four hours You're ago. You're a mean one, Mr. Picard. Picard. Uh, Picard. <laughs> Sorry, Picard. Yeah. Uh, all right, and that wrapped us up. You know, from there, the Enterprise uh, warps away to where they were supposed to be going, anyways. Little diversion there. Um, I'm going to start with you, Eric. What did you think about Samaritan Snare? I'm going to give it seven packlets. Okay. I really like the packlets. I don't like the genesis of them or the attitude that is suggested by their inclusion in the late eighties political scene and all that. However, I think the performances are brilliant and they straddle that weird line between hilarious and terrifying. Like I, I'm a big fan of this episode and the moment I saw them on screen again, I'm like, Oh, I remember these guys. And I, if I'm not wrong, this is the only time we ever yep. see the packlets. Never right? mentioned again. Yeah. They, Love it. Kate, what about you? Uh, I'm going to give it six biomedical physiologists. <laughs> uh, I It's not my favorite favorite, uh, but there's enough, you know, it's, it's, it gets us uh, more uh, love between Picard and crush and Wesley, which uh, I got to love. Um, I think the reason that it isn't higher for me is just the, the, the times that they don't listen to team members feels out of place. Uh, I get that we wouldn't have an episode if we did listen to them, but you know, the outright, you know, sort of dismissal um, feels, feels harsh in this one. So that's what I'm giving it. Great. I'm going to go with five and a half hearts from Captain Picard, because this is his third one. We don't know if he doesn't have canon other hearts later on. Uh, I'm just going to say that he does. Um, I'm, I'm with everybody here. Like it's, it's a, a better than average episode. I enjoyed the performances of the Packlids. Um, some of the weirdness around the political stuff I hadn't really even considered until you brought it up, but I started also, you know, over the course of this conversation, think of the, the whole, you know, welfare queen type of thing. That was a big thing in the eighties of like, you just keep giving them and they, you know, they're, they're doing, they don't know how to do it with this stuff. And I, that, if you get that subtext in the conservative uh, idea of, it's kind of awful to consider. Icky. It's kind of icky. Yeah, that's the word. Um, but the B plot with uh, Picard and Crusher, I did quite enjoy. I like that they were able to finally have a scene, you know, a couple, several scenes where they're communicating with each other. And I actually really liked the just natural honesty of of uh, Wesley saying, "I enjoyed our trip together." And Picard, I don't think he realized it until he says this line, "I did too." And, he, and they actually have that that nice uh, moment 
Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to give it five and three quarters of a crimson force field. Mm. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with what Kate had brought up was with the dismissal of crewmates. And, and like Kate, I agree, you know, they if they listened, it stalls the plot. But maybe the writers could have come up with a another way to deal with them, maybe not knowing they could have been on the same page as everybody else instead of clearly putting them in the right and just be outright not listened to. Uh, and again, my, my same old gripe uh, that I, I found it on many times is the homogeny of races. I just, it, it, it was, they all looked too much the same and not the acting. The acting was spot on. It was just the way they had built the characters for this world was, you know, they gave them a five sentence line about you guys speak slow and, a little duncy hmm. you, you seem that way um and it, it, if we only get to see five people then that's our take on five people uh, a race and i want to see just much more depth of, of races uh in, in these worlds so i have to knock it back for that if there's you know somebody asked me should i uh watch it or pass it i would have to say pass because it doesn't actually move star trek forward it's just uh, uh not unpleasant uh, episode on on the ride so um that's it i gotta go see if my hawks won or lost tonight um and if they lost i will uh wet my bed <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining our cultural bridge officers for this episode of re-engage next week we are continuing the mission with another episode of star trek the next generation we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage.